Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Podcast. And I'm your host, Joanne, and you are now listening into Series 6. Series 6 is all about building an entrepreneurial ecosystem in the Gambia. So for the next four weeks, you will hear me interviewing various entrepreneurs from the Gambia who are playing a pivotal role in building this ecosystem from the ground. Listen in. I hope you enjoy. Again, I would like to introduce my first guest which is Mr. Mudu from the Gambia. Mudu, welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Okay, so Mudu, tell us a little yeah. bit about you. In it, like Before we jump into the conversation about the ecosystem there in the Gambia, what you're doing and what you're building, which is such an exciting story. Tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you how you got into entrepreneurship. Thank you so much, Joanne. Um, uh, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, I was I was actually very excited to, <laughs> to actually too, share to actually share a lot of insights uh, about it. Yeah, so um, I am Modi Njai and um, currently residing in Gambia. I am the director of Startup Grand Banjul. Um, and Startup Grand Banjul is an educational series of um, events that it's, uh, you know, powered globally by Google for Startups on we in 125 countries. And Gambia is uh, one of those countries that we are helping to empower the community and ensure that we educate, inspire and connect them. So um, I am also um, a businessman. Um, I'm also a founder of uh, Mandy's Ice Candy Regional Ice Cream Palo. Um, I'm working on creating a lot of distribution points across the Gambia. And, and I'm also a founder of uh, iTalent Clinton South, which is also a cleaning company that uh, works with uh, corporate um, firms and, you know, um, houses and whatnot. So I'm currently working on building uh, a project that's going to be on data. Um, how do we generate data? Because that has been a problem. And we are designing the site. So that's an exciting project that, um, you know, we I'm looking forward to actually launching um, that is on the pipeline. So um, currently I am um, one of the, um, you know, community, um, you know, builders in Gambia that is trying to help improve, um, you know, the scalability of the entrepreneurial ecosystem and make it a viable product for you know, ready for the global market. So this is basically what I do and a little bit about me. Awesome. So you, you have you always known that you wanted to be a businessman or an entrepreneur? Um, okay, that, you know, um, I said it in one of the podcasts I was invited to, like, um, it took time before I find a niche um, in exactly mm. um, where I wanted because, um, you know, I mean, I was forced to do entrepreneurship based on the circumstances um, that I was in because mm. obviously I had a job. But then again, I thought that that was not what exactly I wanted to do. So um, I was just curious. I was just curious. At some point, I was doing a lot of volunteering work um, across uh, Gambia, and I was fascinated mm. by the amount of innovation that was happening. And I was like, what's going on in my country? So, and I was inspired. Um, when I met um, one of my friends who is from Kenya, uh, Valentine Koyo, um, mm. he's the director of Mojang magazine in Nottingham. So mm. my inspiration started when I learned that he was doing amazing stuff in Nottingham 
um, you know, helping, um, you know, females to start initiative and whatnot. So, and then again, I started my ice cream parlor. And so ambitious, um, you know, I looked around and, you know, see that Gambia was very tropical in terms of its uh, weather. And that yeah. business like ice cream um, will not only sell, but kind of like help me get closer to kids and, you know, um, also help my neighborhood. So, and yeah, that was how I started and, you know, started building it, you know, getting so interested. And then I started interacting with a lot of kids, you know, um, helping them, you know, giving them uh, books uh, when they buy a lot of ice cream in the week, you know, and also interacting with them on, you know, their scores. So, and then it just triggered my interest for helping my community. And that was how I became so involved. And it just took it to another level. And this is a passion. Um, and now I'm proud to say that at least I am trying to, um, you know, like scale it a bit more higher to where I want Gambia to be. Yeah, yeah. So I know you've you've been involved with a lot of projects. I know right. like Startup Grind and you've been the recipient of the like, is it 35, Africa's 35 yeah, under 35? Right. Right. You, right. You've been That's involved right. with a with a lot, and um, yeah. yeah, I'm really curious as to so is is it just that you've been involved in the ecosystem? One thing led to another, and you just you know you were approached by Startup Grind. How did that happen? Yeah. So um, before joining Startup Grind, I was um, you know I was pretty much involved in the ecosystem, um, you know, like and some of the things that was going on. Um, one thing that was a particular at that time was that we had a lot of donor funding in terms of, um, you know, because Gambia's ecosystem, um, if you know, was a bit nascent. And mm -hmm. at some point we had a lot of, um, you know, influx in terms of donor agencies trying to also pump in so, uh, money in terms of creating entrepreneurship awareness. And not only that, but creating subvention that would help train um, the emerging young population in the Gambia. So um, you get involved, and I was pretty much um, involved in a lot of the trainings that was happening, the call for proposal, and it kind of opened my eye. And in terms of mm. startup grind, it was much more about finding the person that actually had more passion for building a community. So I think it was more of my personality, and that yeah. uh, um, they were much more interested in finding the person that, as I said earlier, had an interest to improve their community. And it's, I mean, it sells about your track record. You know, I've done quite a lot of work with the World Bank and UNCDF um, in doing a lot of research um, in the early stages of my entrepreneurship journey, collecting data. And then you start to be fascinated about some of the gaps in the market that you definitely know that you can improve. The more you collect data, the more you're fascinated about the gaps, the more you see the strengths, the more you see where exactly um, things that you can do. So at some point, it kind of triggered a bit more when I was collecting data, um, doing the country profile for Gambia. And then I saw some of the major challenges that was happening in the SME sector. And I mean, it kind of gave me to a point where I just wanted to do something. And Startup Grind was one of those initiatives that I thought was definitely going to be a massive change. And you've mentioned it um, over the year. Um, you know, several things happened, like the Africa 35, Africa Africana Awards. But this wasn't about only being successful, but much more about um, what we can do to not only create um, you know, uh, I mean, a startup community that was strong in terms of scale, uh, scalability, because that was a problem. You know, when you deal with a nascent market like the Gambia, a lot of the startups at some point 
they they're dying and you really don't want to see that you want them to you know to get strong up in terms of access to capital in terms of getting a lot of information on what's happening and this was an area that i thought only community building and you know awareness could help so this was the passion so, sort of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh, excellent, excellent. Well done. Okay, so yeah. thank you for the explanation. So let's jump into building yeah. an entrepreneurial ecosystem in the Gambia. Now, what we need to know about the Gambia, like you said, is that the ecosystem there is nascent. It's not, you know, it's not the, the typical countries, the three countries that we hear about. It's not Nigeria, it's not Kenya, it's not South Africa. Okay, um, so how how does one build an entrepreneurial ecosystem in a developing country um much of the world right um where there's nothing there where do you start so tell us about where you started and how you did it and how you are currently doing it in your country amazing so when you look at typically about the type of program that i'm doing um you know you can have a lot of involvement in products and services that are inside but when you're dealing with a nascent market, for example, a market that is really, um, you know, like investors might not even want to come, but then there's a potential, especially as you have indicated in a development country, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. Um, yeah. And then you can ask me why. Education in the sense that, um, like, you can't build, um, you know, an ecosystem where, um, you know, um, the players are not connected in the sense that, and also, Informations around um, what's happening, um, you know, the available resources that can be done. How do you spin your products? You know, how do you have uh, product market fit? These are information that you don't even have, um, you know, because entrepreneurship is like a practical thing. And mm. um, so basically um, doing that, meaning that you need to have initiatives that are going to get people to understand these things. So I'll mm. give an example. Um, um, we were we were doing something that we called the ecosystem mapping in the Gambia, and this was an initiative that was actually launched, which Startup Gun was part of, by the International Trade Center. And guess what? This was a validation report that was actually going to tell you a bit more about how the ecosystem landscape in the Gambia is. But some of the challenges that came through was that there was a lack of connection, and even in terms of information about who is doing what was lacking. So you find mm. out that. You know, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, when we did the UNCDF market survey, we found out that there's a whole lot of um, SMEs, like up to 88,000. But then you find out that where are all these people? You know, it's like, mm. you know, what are they doing? And why, mm. <laughs> why our economy not actually taken over by these people? So, and then you concentrate with those that are actually, um, you know, visible. And then you find out that even those ones that are visible, that are, doing a lot of profiling with the donors are not really where we want them to be in terms of their connection with other markets. So, um, you know, so you find out that the education structure, it's not only having them graduate from school or having them um, go to trainings, but attending programs that really get them to be, uh, to understand where the journeys are. So where I'm focused on was that, ah, Sarugan was a good option. One, because you bring in people that are experts in different areas, like uh, finance, like fintech, um, you know, like uh, e-commerce, and get them on a panel, and you know, select a topic that at that particular time was needed. I mean, it's stages. Um, that's why um, when you do ecosystem report, you have the growth stage, you have the mature stage, and you know, and then you also have um, the awakening stage. 
So every country has a stake. And Gambia is currently among the awakening. Like, um, um, we, we are not in the manifesto and map, but at the awakening stake means there's a vibe. I mean, I mean, somebody somehow wants to do something, but they don't really know how to do it. So that's where the ecosystem players come into play. Now, another question that you ask is, uh, who is doing what? So when you have a whole lot of 88,000 SMEs in a country where the ecosystem is nothing, you ask the question, are these people really scaling? No. So where is the problem coming from? It's because you have a whole lot of players that are probably doing the same training, are probably not disseminating the information that are required for the startups to, to, to move forward. So these are some of the things that <laughs> you kind of looked at. And I can tell you there's a whole lot of elements inside. And um, I'll talk about that more um, with my experience um, doing startup grinding Gambia and some of the challenges that comes out from you know, building an ecosystem. And it doesn't get easier, but with the right education, that's where it starts. Yeah, but when you, when you say education, I know you're referring to the entrepreneurs, but I would like right. to get your take on education of just the public generally, education yeah. of government officials who are going to hopefully implement policies to make it um, easier for people to st entrepreneurs start businesses, education right. for the on the investors because they're investors right. who they may be good at investing in property or real estate or putting right. their money in a bank, but they don't understand how to invest in in startups. So education generally for different the different stakeholders, is that something that you believe is important as well? And is that happening in the Gambia? That's a very important element. In fact, um, you know, that's one of the things that I felt like um, needs to be done more, especially in countries that the ecosystem is a bit nascent. I mean, um, Africa is the future in terms of um, businesses. And, you know, when you see small markets like the Gambia uh, with a big potential, you ask, your, um, I mean, you ask yourself the question, now, what can we do right? But you cannot do, even though you have entrepreneurship ecosystem players in the market, but you also need the involvement, as you've indicated in all those points, like the government. I'll give you a typical example. Um, Gambia doesn't have a payment gateway, for example. And um, this cannot be solved only by uh, me running a startup kind. Um, the only thing I can do as an ecosystem player is to host events and shed more light on why Gambia needs um, a payment system. But then who do you mm. need again? also need laws or mm -hmm. central government to actually come up with policies that are yeah. going to be a framework for the financial sector. So I'll yes. give you, an, um, you know, Gambia, for example, we've been doing a lot of advocacy in terms of digital payment. And mm. uh, but that was that was one of the challenges with the emerging businesses that couldn't go outside because they were limited because nobody outside could actually make a payment um, directly to your account. Um, you actually get in locked on for some reasons because there's no payment switch internationally that is connected to Gambia. So, and then you cannot do this alone. Now, who can you rely on is um, a system, a government system, or whoever is responsible, like the central bank, to come up with financial regulations um, that are going to help to power this, even if they cannot power it, but provide a framework that would allow um, you know, private sector holders or private sector individuals to come up with initiatives that will sort it out. And now um, from our advocacy, I'll give you an example in terms of the payment system. Um, we have, we've been, we've been um, inviting the government 
and also the local payment switch that was responsible for payment system to actually come out with and give us an idea on why we were not really going on that level. But then some of the questions or some of the answers that you see would be like, we are not ready as a country. And you ask yourself like, no, I mean, every country needs to step up um, to get somewhere by taking action. So what, what we focus on is now who is supposed to do what and what needs to be done. So in terms of the payment system, we, we realized that mm, I think um, we can have the government, but why not um, engage also some of the young people that were building customized APIs for the payment system? So with the advocacy, you tend to understand that even if one player is not acting, you can engage another player to act. But you know, as I said, one system or one player cannot do it alone. Um, you know, countries are pushing their governments to have startup regulation that will protect startups in terms of um, taxes, taxes, because most of the startups can meet um, the normal taxes and demands because they're really young. Uh, I mean, in fact, if you tax them more, they actually die out. So there has to be regulations that will protect them in terms of registration, easy access, um, you know, accessibility to, um, into funding, um, insurance coverage, um, in terms of defaults of payment on access capital. So all these things are um, roles and responsibilities of central governments. But um, we're pushing on the advocacy to see what can be done. But all these things need to be there in order to build an ecosystem, a viable one indeed, especially for Gambia. Yeah. And what about parents? Because, I'm, you know, is it one of the part, aspects of building an entrepreneurial culture is that everyone in the society believes that entrepreneurship is necessary and that you need to have entrepreneurs at, as you would need solicitors, doctors, engineers, right. pharmacists, and everybody else. So what about the culture of parents? Because in the developing world, parents don't necessarily want, I mean, I don't think this is a gross generalization, but most parents, unless they're coming from an entrepreneurial background themselves, they're not going to encourage their children to become an entrepreneur. They want their children to be educated <laughs> and get yeah. safe, secure jobs. And um, I mean, it's not like in, I'm not saying in the Western world, you don't have that as well, but I think it's more, you know, it's more common in the West for someone to say they're going to quit university and start a business, or they're not even going to go to university altogether. Whereas in the developing world, those attitudes don't quite exist. At least it's not the I dominant agree. attitude. So how then do you go about encouraging parents? Is it just a matter of as you continue to build the ecosystem and you have a pipeline, then parents and, and sort of the older generations will start to see that, okay, there is some success. I guess you need more success stories, right? For that to happen? Right, exactly. Or do you think, yeah. So basically, um, you know, well, most of us um, go through that kind of phase because, you know, we always believe you need to have a job and work in an office to be successful. Um, you know, even even in my case, starting my ice cream business, at some point, you know, my mom was like, why are you starting this business? Are you going to leave your job? So they were much more concerned in terms of security of, you know, your nine to five job, but they don't really know what entrepreneurs could do for you. So um, now the case in point is, um, a major force that could force people to go for entrepreneurs, especially in a case like Gambia, is the unemployment rate, which is a bit mm. higher, for example. Um, and then you have a uh, majority of the population that are young people. So why, mm. what do you need to 
do when you are not being employed, for example. Somebody has mm-hmm. to take the lead. So even if parents are not are a bit receptive on people um, starting their entrepreneurial journeys, but what can you do if people are not providing you or the system is not providing you with the opportunity to work? So the only viable thing that you can look out for is doing, working out your own means to start something. And that's, mm. that independence only entrepreneurs can give you. I think it takes time. As I indicated earlier, we are at an awakening stage for Gambia's case. And there's a whole lot of drive. You still have people that are doing nine to five jobs at the same time opening their own businesses. And which is of good. Because it looks like, I mean, it looks like they, bit, they understand that um, having a nine to five jobs might not even last. You can get kicked out anytime. But mm. I mean, when you have a business, you're on your own boss. And I feel like this is the mentality that we need to push. Not only that people start in businesses, but understanding that businesses create employment. And actually, SMEs are the missing link in terms of development. So the more SMEs mm. that you have in a company, um, the more boost that you have as a government, because you, you're facing less pressure um, in terms of creating jobs. I mean, um, the time that you're spending in creating, um, you know, being forced to create a lot of jobs, you can actually create a more enabling environment with law policies and then encourage these young people to start with either funding opportunities or connecting them with investors. I feel like this is more of about understanding of the culture of entrepreneurship. It's a receptive, and I know that in the sub-region, everybody is going through that stage, whereby um, in most cases, you might find a lot of threat in terms of, and some of the negative vibes that you get in terms of um, moving with your businesses, because probably your family members don't really agree with your decision or didn't really know what entrepreneurs you could do for you. And, you know, taking into consideration the economy that you're operating in, um, lack of support, lack of access to finance. So one has to be really bold. But I feel like a lot of parents are now understanding that it's important um, that, you know, um, you know, young people, our people are given the opportunity to start their own initiative. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. But at least you're doing something for yourself. And, you know, when you make it or you fail, um, you only answer to yourself, you know. So at the end of the day, um, you know, aside from having a nine-to-five job where you've been tied to a system or a structure. So these are mm. things that you look out. So I feel like um, with the right cultural shift, um, we would understand. But, you know, you can't compare, uh, obviously, the, the developed world and, you know, the world that we're in here in Africa. Um, it's a completely different story where we, you know, we depend on remittances, on a whole lot of things happening you know, or, or coming to our countries. But um, with the right tools, with the right education, um, you know, I feel like we can push it forward. Um, parents or the society will start to understand and embrace the culture of entrepreneurship. In fact, it's the way forward, trust me, it's the way forward in terms of curbing youth unemployment, irregular migration, especially in the case of Gambia. These are things that we need to encourage to happen. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Okay, so what else, if, I don't know if you can break it down sort of in in layers or in steps as to like all <laughs> the different, because I know it's a lot and I know you do a lot, right. but all the different things that, that, are, that are needed to bring the ecosystem together. I mean, we mentioned, so thus far we've mentioned government, obviously, um, right. and government needs to, the infrastructure needs to be there. Right. Exactly. So yeah. Gov- yeah. government needs to make 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 it easy for entrepreneurs to actually start businesses. Um, they need to create the right tax structure. OK, we talked exactly. about education. What right. about 
we talked a little bit about the culture. What about the financing part, which is very important as well? Ah, you financing. just touched upon just, uh, just a part that is really very close to me. You know, mm. um, you know, I just had an event recently on access to capital and the future of fintech in the Gambia. Mm-hmm. Most so a more motivation to do that was that I was just not, you know, so about just, um, I mean, the Gambian entrepreneurs depending more on um, donor funding structure in terms of access to finance because it's time bound. So, um, you know, when you have a system or access to finance that is solely dependent on the structures that are placed by, um, you know, outsiders, uh, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily or or investors, but UN agencies, for example, it is yeah. a bit of a challenge. So you want to create a culture of accessing finance whereby private individuals will come, micro-lending institutions are structured. And not only that, banks, because you have banks um, that are actually here, but you know, entrepreneurs are having a big challenge accessing finance. And you, know, you turn out too, and nobody knows where to get it. And this is where businesses suffer. Because if you start your business um, and, I mean, you can't scale, because one of the reasons is that you're struggling in one way or the other with access to finance, now where do you turn on to? If the government doesn't have a government fund on entrepreneurs, but even the banks are not willing to even lend to entrepreneurs for the fear that they're not able to pay back and with a high interest rate, now where do we turn on to? So that was why I was even motivated um, to host an event recently on access to capital, where I was able to invite um, the recently new um, you know, angel investment network in the Gambia, and also um, a, a, a credit expert from the US um, that actually came to actually tell us now how can we have micro lending structures in place? Um, in the case of banking, what can we expect? In the case of having fintech compatibility with access into finance, what can we look out for? And what does the donor funding agencies in terms of helping entrepreneurs that access finance? What is the longevity? And, 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 and then you kind of see that it cuts across to giving information on when do you need access to finance, why is access to finance a very important tool in terms of businesses, the what and how, the channels that are needed, how do you prepare your balance sheet. These are information that are necessary because it's not only about the funding, but do I really need the funding? Where can I get the funding? These are things that has been a challenge. And I'm happy to say that we've been able to roadmap and bring the players in the market that are going to help uh, solve the situation. And even if we have uh, temporary funding that is coming from the international agencies, even if it cuts off, we have a backup funds that we can rely on to. Because once you have this, you're creating a safe haven for entrepreneurs. Um, this is the most important element in the Gambian stage right now. And I'm pretty much excited on some of the structures that we're working on in place to make sure that uh, entrepreneurs have easy, um, easy access to micro lending in other countries in, develop, in the developed world, it's actually uh, not so difficult. But when you ask an entrepreneur in Gambia to provide you with their credit history, it's even a challenge. They don't even have audited financial statements on their businesses. Now, how do you intend to even go to a bank and tell the bank to give you a loan? You know, mm-hmm. the bank will say no, because you don't really have the necessary details to be able to have that. So um, not only giving them access to finance, but the structures, how do they prepare themselves? Um, if investors come, um, because you don't have to be successful to have access to investment uh, money. Uh, with what, what investors need in most cases is to be able to know that your business has you know, prospects. 
because they want to invest, they want to put in their money in some way that they know that they can get returns back and they can have an equity share or whatnot in the business. But they don't want to invest in a business that <laughs> you put in your money and the next minute, you know, nothing is happening. So I think um, we are much more focused on providing the right information that's necessary and also getting um, those private individuals that I think are needed to provide the roadmap in terms of accessing finance, if not even get them to invest in these areas that we don't have a lot of players in the market too. So this, this is something very important to me. And I feel like, um, you know, it's something that I really want to see be taken to another level, especially in my country, in the Gambia, um, that we can have entrepreneurs grow. Yeah, I want you to tell me a little bit more. You mentioned firstly, the Angel Investor Network in the Gambia, and then you said the different structures that are that are in place. Can you tell me more about the Angel Investor Network? How, when was that created? How was that created? How, how is that, how is that going? What's the future of that? Yeah, so actually there were speakers in my last event. Uh, we had Adraman, who is the managing director of the Gambia Angel Investment Network. So it's a network of private individuals um, that uh, bring their resources together. Um, to actually invest in businesses. But then, um, you know, some of the things that were highlighted on our recent program was that um, with angel investment, um, there's a whole lot of processes, you know. Um, there's a pitch deck that is mm -hmm. there, you know, um, you know um, investment readiness program that are also there, and also not only that, but coaching, um, you know. So, um, you know, there are structures that needs to be there in place. First thing, obviously, you need to register your business, um, you know, you need to be able to show that, um, you know, um, some of the returns that you can make and, you know, also to be able to convince an investor that, you know, your product is viable um, in the long run. Um, so, and I mean, the structures are not very complicated. Um, for the Gambia's Angel Investment Network, it's a new one. Um, they really um, currently focus on building the network and getting a lot of private individuals to be part of the network because that's what it is all about. Now, how do you get um, all these um, different individuals that are interested in investing in business? So I think for now, Moso is collecting a data on, um, because NJ investment is another level, um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and um, $20,000 upwards in terms of um, investment. So it's mm -hmm. different from high micro lending or whatnot, because when yeah. you talk NJ investment, um, uh, entrepreneurs need to be ready for a different level because then mm -hmm. <laughs> everything about your business is to be tested before investors mm -hmm. put in there because they they don't have the time to uh, I mean to go through to ways in terms of um, you know um, for you to convince them but I'm glad that currently with the gain networking Gambia they're much more focused on um, kind of find um, you know work with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in terms of batches and get them to be ready um, so that yeah. when they have, um, when they meet investors, they will not only that prepare them for what investors are looking at, because that's where um, the issue is. And once you're able to get them to be prepared, then it's amazing. And once we have businesses that angel investors are investing in the Gambia, then we are at another level because that's even good for our business um, ecosystem. Because then you have um, um, a whole lot of, um, eyesight or even those that are in the diaspora like the Baobab networks, you know, the venture capitalists that we're not sure about how the Gambia market is 
and how it will shift. They will have the confidence to even come to the country because all the success stories will be unveiled. But uh, I feel like we are at the early stage and it was really encouraging to have the network here in Gambia. And I'm pretty much excited to see what they will be doing in the upcoming um, years to come. Um, yeah, so far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, because I think that um, if you're looking at high growth companies, you definitely want angel investors because microfunding isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, but exactly, um, exactly, exactly. You touched. So you touched that's upon another thing that in structures. Yeah, 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 for sure. You touched upon something very important, which is business support, because readiness is very important um, in terms of being prepared for what an angel investor is going to actually be looking for because you can have right. a lot of businesses but they're not actually ready for investment just yet a lot of businesses just aren't investor ready so right. are these are these investors also going to be and i think this is what you said so clarify me if if i'm wrong they will actually be working with these entrepreneurs to to just educate them and advise them on on what what investors generally are looking for. I mean, it's in their interest to get them ready, obviously, if they're going to invest in them, or if they're thinking about investing in them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part of their program. Uh, in fact, that was um, one of the highlighted comments that we had uh, with the managing director on, uh, because I was pretty much concerned about, um, because NGA investment, I mean, when you mention it, it's a big word, and I'm sure a lot of the entrepreneurs will be wondering what they need to do, um, to get access to those kind of funding. And it takes days, even in other parts of the world. So um, readiness programs are really important. Um, that's why the quality of the programs that are being done by incubators, by, you know, accelerators, to be able to prepare these entrepreneurs that when they meet investors, at least they have a high-valued information on what needs to be provided. And you can only do that um, also by getting the players to understand that the different kind of programs that they provide needs to be curtailed to um, how the market will look like for entrepreneurs in the future. Because, I, I mean, I wasn't sure of what it would pan out with the gain network, but then you start to understand that all the structures needs to be there in place to help entrepreneurs um, understand. But they have that. They have that in their network. Um, that Because, well, you want to work with entrepreneurs, you need to prepare them. And in fact, they have been having a lot of closed door meetings with uh, some of the entrepreneurs that they want to, um, you know, invest on and prepare them yeah. um, so that they can go back to the joint board and get this, um, some of the information necessary for investors to, um, to work on it. Because it's a network. And obviously, you know, not only that, the coaching part is also very important. Um, you know, the exposure of these entrepreneurs to know what the expectations are, um, some of the processes and the websites will provide all this information, I think, on the criteria that are needed by entrepreneurs before they can qualify for angel investment, um, you know, money. So these are things that are in place as well. Are there any success stories as yet out of the Gambia, like successful startups who have received angel investing and have done really well and are sustainable, or that hasn't happened just yet? No, they are... Uh, I mean, as I said, it's a newly um, established uh, network. Yeah. Um, you know, right now they're more focused on um, getting the readiness programs, um, you know, some of the, the mentoring that are needed, um, you know, because as I said, some of the gaps that we analyzed recently in the, in the ecosystem mapping was that the quality of the trainings that were being done 
uh, needed to be adjusted a bit. Um, so <laughs> those are areas that are very much paramount um, before you can put this on the pronos in front of the investors. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For now, yeah. the network is much more focused on getting the individuals to sign up, and um, also, um, you know, I think yeah, they've already started um, working with um, some few entrepreneurs. Um, mm. So we're waiting to see what the outcomes will be, but it's looking okay. really yeah, yeah for for the ecosystem. I asked that because I was just curious as to whether there was any, right. I mean, I know, I know it's new and I know you're creating it, but I wasn't sure if, if that meant there was maybe one that was successful, even if it was a few years ago, if there just hasn't been any success stories yeah. as yet in the startup space. Yeah, exactly. So it was just okay. launched recently, not long ago. So, but we, as I indicated that we're looking forward to see how it will pan out. And also with the different stakeholders that are doing their own different, different segments, how do we, um, get these um, programs to really elevate um, the kind of entrepreneurship culture that we want to see in the Gambia. And it's, yeah. it's the best time to do it, trust me. Uh, I mean, the best time to do it in the Gambia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that you have been doing um, is working with the diaspora, which is um, something I'm really excited right. about. <laughs> right. And, right. Um, yeah. And I know right. you've been working with the diaspora in the, the Gambia or Senegambia diaspora in the U.S. Right. in different parts of the right. world. So right. um, why do you think that's important? What role is that playing in developing the ecosystem as well? Wow. So Gambia's economy, just to start with, is very dependent on remittance. Uh, yes. That tells you a lot as about much of the third, as much of the third world is over like... Yeah. 700 billion in remittances a year or some crazy number like that <laughs> documented <laughs> documented undocumented is a whole other ball game ah wow so basically yeah. you i mean that tells you a lot about um the interest of the people in the diaspora on what they want to see in the gambia so yeah. um the, the one of the exciting part is um there's a lot of gambians out uh, in the diaspora that are doing fantastic and amazing stuff in different parts of the world. And they needed um, programs that where they could connect with. Some of them we are pretty much interested in settling down in Gambia in terms of mm -hmm. opening uh, their branches, but they wanted entry points. So this was one of the things that we've been playing. And if you look at most of our sponsors, even for addition, um, we've had companies like USL Technology, Vigbo. These are companies that are, that at a particular time, we're not operational in Gambia, but because of our presence, it was much more easier for them to power our events and, you know, work with us as partners and to be able to structure and also look at the possibilities and available resources that we have in the market. So because it is tougher when you don't have the accessibility through um, a network. So um, we are not, the diaspora people are like, they are like my main partners and, mm. um, yeah, I work with them a lot, and they support the programs that we do in the Gambia. In fact, um, almost half of half of the sponsorship that we have is coming from those outside of Gambia, um, and that tells a lot about their interest to develop the ecosystem. In fact, um, it helps even in the education part of how because when you work with the diaspora, they're pretty much exposed, and mm -hmm. working with them helps you to know what's happening there and how can we use compatibility, um, how can it work in Gambia. Um, what are the things that we need to do in terms of getting them to come here and speak? They can share their stories. 
on what they think needs to go right, what you know, what needs to be adjusted. And it's very important, especially in the case of Gambia, that we, we bring the experts that we have. If they can do it outside, why not bring them both the expertise in and knowledge and experience from people like yourself, people like people outside of Gambia, um, in other parts to involve them in the in the building process of this country's ecosystem. And so far, so good. Um, yeah. For most of the partners that we've been working with, that have been amazingly helping us really um, tailored out um, programs that are going to get um, you know the to to believe that they can make it here. Um, you know, one of the challenges that we've been having is irregular migration, and mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. seems to have um, the answer to it. Um, getting them to believe that they can start their own businesses here. In fact, at some point, it becomes a CSR point of view for your company because you realize that when you lose the cream of the society, going to search for greener pastures, uh, greener pastures, it creates a more problem uh, for your economy. Mm-hmm. So how do you get them to stay? So when you connect them with those that are in the diaspora to tell them about some of the challenges, some of the opportunities that they need to be aware of, they get more confident to stay. And it kind of increases their sense of nationalism um, and how they see their countries. Because the way you think about it always be the case. So this, this, this has been some of the reasons why we've been encouraging and getting involved with the diaspora. There's the confidence part, as I said, engaging the diaspora. Um, yeah. In terms of um, you know helping those that never believed in the system to know that they can start something here, do it, and learn from those that are outside, um, whether they are successful or not, but to give them hope that it's not as easy as uh, one thing, but that you know one can stay here and do something. So uh, so that's the motive. But then I'm pretty much excited with the collaboration with the diaspora. In fact, <laughs> you know some of the strategies that we have, it's mainly attached to the diaspora. So, um, because we also want to connect them to the international market and the diaspora people can help on that. Yeah, yeah it's really important that any any economic development in, in home countries should definitely mm-hmm. harness and the power of the diaspora and diaspora investment. Um, just, just to put diaspora remittances in perspective, remittances going into um, diaspora home countries exceed foreign aid, exceed foreign direct investment. Oh. Um, oh. I mean, yeah, I oh. was reading about India like a couple of years ago. I don't know the number now, but um, remittances right. going into India was, I think, um, over 72 billion at one point, which exceeded... Right. For, and that was a few years ago. I don't know about now. And that exceeded foreign direct investment. So, and that's just, I mean, and on, India is a big country with one point, exactly. however much billion people. So I exactly. think that when it comes to the diaspora, there's there's a lot of potential there. I mean, even looking this year at Ghana with its year of return, there's like cultural, a lot of, I mean, it's the remittances are one thing, but there's also cultural currency, political currency. There's a lot of currency that the diaspora bring with them. So I think there's there's much more. I think we're going to see a lot more from the diaspora, not just from investment, but also yeah. um, just like cultural connections, political connections, because the diaspora, wherever they are, whether it's in the U.S., the U.K., 
Canada, Australia, UAE, they tend to be educated people, well-established people, people with disposable income, people with a lot of experience. There's a lot of skills and technological transfer that can happen. So there's a lot of potential there. So I'm, I'm hoping to see more connections with the diaspora. And you're definitely leading on that, which is amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, What's so yeah, yeah, we've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of jazz engagement, and you know, um, you know, we did an event, even um, a collaboration with Ebroso Consulting, which was the homecoming. So, I saw that. Yeah, yes, the, that was very yeah, popular. at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, and it was like so exciting. And one of the objectives was to get the you know the diaspora people that are out there, you know, um, to come down and share their insight, you know, about you know how do we mobilize resources. And all this stuff. So a lot of exciting stuff are there. And I'm proud to say that this is exactly what we need, that those outside need to be able to look back and know that, hey, this is where I'm coming from. And I need to add value to these economies by sharing your insights, sharing your resources, and just being part of it. I mean, you know. Yeah. And they want a voice. The diaspora want a voice. Just because you're not living in your country doesn't mean, you know, we all know people who aren't in their country are no more about politics back home than even in the country they've been living in for 20, 30 years exactly. sometimes, you know. They're calling yeah. home all the time. They're sending money home all the time. So it also gives them a voice. And, um, you know, I think you touched on this a little bit earlier where you said that people in the Gambia, and I get, and I think this is in the wider developing world, there's a lot of um, looking outward for investors. Um, so investors yeah. are international investors, you know, coming from different parts of the world. And I think that sometimes the investor from the outside doesn't always understand the issues on the ground. They don't always understand the dynamics, the ecosystems, how things work. Whereas, yeah. with the diaspora, they, whereas with the diaspora, even though they've been away, they're connected. They understand the culture. They understand the people. They understand exactly. how things work. They, they, you know, they know the customer, so to speak, <laughs> the KYC. Uh, exactly. And they, you, you won't have that hurdle as you would with, you know, a guy who's in France that's got money and he thinks, you know, Africa is hot, so to speak. You know what I mean? So... Not that both don't have a role to play. Right, I yeah, think both exactly. do. But I think it's really important that the diaspora are given that first option to get involved in what's happening in their home countries. And I think That's a lot right. of them do. I think a lot of them do, but it's just finding the appropriate and transparent avenues for them to do so. Transparent being exactly. a key word. Trust. Exactly. Exactly. Trust. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very much important. Um, you know, because uh, most of the partners that we work with here in Gambia really believe in what we do. And, um, mm. you know, uh, and then for them to even, you know, believe in investing their money um, mm. on your program means that they, they really understand the impact level that you can make. So it's really important that where they're looking at investing um, is looking at impacting the whole community because some of them have really done amazing stuff outside, but um, they're looking at CSR. Um, in their home countries, um, building networks that would help, you know, um, companies that they want to set up. So this this has been really one of the things that we've been working on. And I'm excited for what the future holds for those in the diaspora and what they intend to do in the Gambia. And with the right integration, ah, our economy will be somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And these are exciting times. I mean, you're at the forefront of this. So you mentioned all yeah. the different 
all the different um, agents and all the different people that are involved. We talked about policy, right. finance, markets, the human capital, the diaspora, culture, support. So you're doing it. So where do you think the Gambia's um, entrepreneurial ecosystem is going to be in 2030, in 10 years? Oh, wow. We would be taking over, man. Because you know what's happening? Because Gambia is a small country. And, yeah. you know, it only takes a spark to make it happen. And I can tell mm. you, um, currently, there are a few labs that are coming to um, start operation in the Gambia. And that gives you hope about the entrepreneurship culture. Because before, we were not having that. We were not exposed to a um, lot of the newest technologies that um, a country needed to move forward. And even... Um, get some of the outboost market holders in terms of Google Cloud credits access to give it to the country. But because they need to sh they need to know what the entrepreneurship culture is in that country um, to be able to release some of these products. If the entrepreneurship culture is not that very um, inspiring, they don't invest. So I'm glad to say that currently we are witnessing um, an entrepreneurship ecosystem boost, which is coming from all the different stakeholders, all the different events that are happening in the Gambia. Um, disruptions coming you know, um, new spaces, um, labs that have been, um, you know, uh, run. Um, so it's given an opportunity for a lot of the entrepreneurs to have access to this information, be exposed to newest technologies inside of Gambia. And that mm -hmm. has been a challenge before. So that's where it starts. So in 2020, oh man, <laughs> I'm looking at Gambia at another level, trust me. Like, because um, I know it's going to take time uh, because, um, you know, Again, all these activity programs to, to work has been a challenge over the past, but I feel like we're getting there. Um, we just need to have all the major ecosystem players to come together and figure out some of the problems. So it's solving one problem at a time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If it's the, um, you know, um, if it's access to capital, you tackle it. I mean, that's how you build some of the economies that you see around the world. Is actually powered by the involvement of private sector. So mm -hmm. that is where the government's gonna do it alone. So when you have, have a more improvised and more energized private sector that is um, interested in powering their communities, then you have hope. Then you know that, mm -hmm. hey, there's future. Even if the government is not so focused, but they can be challenged to do something. That's where we need um, information. That's where we need um, events that are going to challenge the status quo and get them to to, to act, yeah, even if they're not acting, but get them to act on what we needed. It, yeah. yeah, for sure. And get all the agents involved. So, Mudu, you know, you, as you know, my, my this podcast here is um, geared towards people in the developing world, the global south, whatever we call ourselves. And yeah. there may be a lot of people listening in who also come from countries where there's no entrepreneurial ecosystem and i think sometimes people get discouraged because you like in africa all you hear about is kenya nigeria south africa you know and then if you go to say um another part of the world southeast asia all you hear about is singapore or you know like there's like hot spots which is great and that's encouraging but i think sometimes it can also be disencouraging because people think oh well We've got a long way to go. We can't do that. It's too much work, blah, blah, blah. Right. So what um, what encouraging words or advice do you have to lend or, well, we don't like to say advice. Words of support, let's say that, that you'd like to um, extend to those who want to build an entrepreneurial ecosystem in their home country as well. 
but they think it's a mammoth of a task and maybe they're a bit um, unsure of where to start and what to do. I would, you know, I, I, I always say something um, uh, in regards to what I feel is right. It's about just doing it. You see, mm. um, there's always challenge everywhere in the world in terms of whether you want to start a business. Um, but I mean, if you don't start, you don't know how it is. I mean, at the end of the day, I always tell people, when they tell me, hi, Modu, what do you think I should do? I'm like, hey, guess what? You have an idea. How is it tested? But just start it. Just start it. Because that's where you were able to know. I mean, if I had doubts about what Startup Guide was going to look like in the future, because I wasn't sure. But mm -hmm. all that I had on my mind when I started it in August 2018 was that um, I wasn't sure of how involved I was going to be in the ecosystem. But there was a gut feeling in me that told me, just go ahead and do it. So what's of mm. advice is wherever you are in the world, whatever initiative you're thinking of doing, just do it for the sake of where you want to see Africa be. Because if we mm. don't try, um, if we don't put an effort, then we, then we have to blame ourselves. Because putting an effort and failing and then learning again and doing it again is actually the best option. But if you don't try and you keep on procrastinating, you're not actually helping the system. You're not helping yourself. So what's of advice is, um, go do it, whatever ambition you have, whatever program you think of doing, and don't actually look beyond yourself. Look beyond mm. the legacy that you want to leave behind for future generations mm. for you for. Because that should be the inspiration for us in, in Africa and beyond that we want to be remembered. We want to be remembered for what we what we have done for our countries. And the only yeah. way to do that is by starting something, however small it is, it doesn't matter. As long as you're in your own corner, making an impact, it's worthwhile. It's what every little thing that you can think of in the world. And I feel like that's where we need to be thinking of. And um, whether you are starting a business, um, it's going to be tough, but just keep going. Just keep going. That's what I always say entrepreneurs. Um, you need to have the boss mindset. The boss mindset is knowing that, hey, I'm in charge of everything and whatever happens, happens, but I'm going to try it out. And that's where the difference between successful people and non-successful people are. If you keep on procrastinating, you're not going to do it. But uh, if you ask me what has been keeping me going is just believing in it. And sometimes it doesn't even seem obvious that it's going to work out. But, you know, when you push to the point that you don't give up at some point, I mean, it will open up, you know, it will oh, open yeah, up. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even it if it takes you up. in a completely different direction, exactly. it'll, things it'll are going to happen yeah. for sure. You just exactly. have to be consistent and persistent. And exactly. don't give up on yourself. I think a lot of people give yeah. up too quickly. Number one, exactly. they start and then they give up. And then the other side of that is they don't start because they think everything needs to be perfect. You know, like exactly. um, I've had people say to me they want to do a podcast, but they're not ready yet. And I'm like, just do the podcast. <laughs> you know, like exactly. as you grow, exactly. as you grow, your podcast will get better and you will learn how to edit better and you'll have you'll have all those things. But if you think it's got to be perfect before you start, then you'll never start, you know, or, oh, I want to do a blog, but I don't have a website. You don't need a website. Just start the blog. Like yeah. You can always start where you are, and that's that's the growth. You start where you are, and then you see where how far you can go. So it's either people people give up too quickly, or they don't start at all because they're they're looking they're seeking perfection, and there's 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 no such thing as perfection. And I can tell you, and I can tell you even uh, one thing I would like to add when you talk about um, entrepreneurship culture, entrepreneurship culture, 
uh, most people don't understand that what you learn in schools don't really apply, uh, you know, in businesses. Some of the things that you learn is as you're going, you start experiencing, you start being perfect on the journey. Because I can tell you, a year ago, I was completely in a different world of how I see entrepreneurship. But, you know, as you get in, as you're going, you're starting to discover, you're starting to learn, you're starting to understand how things shape. And it's different from the normal, um, you know, learning etiquettes that we have. So entrepreneurship has nothing to do with the amount of degrees that you have, you have a master's mm -hmm. PhD. It's a learning culture. It's something that is practical. And as you go into it, if I mean, it doesn't matter. Even if you didn't go to school and you start a business, trust me, you will learn how to save money. You will learn how to keep. So all these things come in handy. But you don't know it when you don't start. So that's where the culture should be. Start something, do it, and make it happen. Yeah, yeah it's a, actually the complete opposite of what you learn in school, which is to just study and pass tests. It, it just exactly. doesn't work that way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Really it's a different thing. mindset. Brilliant. Well, that was fantastic, Mudu. Thank you so much for coming on and giving me some of your time. You're, I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate it. And um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the pleasure and, is mine. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And look forward to having you back on the podcast again when when things are, you know, doing even things are great now. But I know it's just going to grow from strength to strength, and it's going to get better and. The next time you talk to us, you'll be telling us about all the success stories and things happening and what's going well. And so, yeah, cool. Right. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah, but thank you so much. Too. I would like to thank you. You've been amazing. And, you know, um, you know, for everyone listening, this is this is an amazing platform to be. And, you know, so, um, you know, yeah, watch out for more editions that are coming. So thanks for having me, Joanne. It's, thank it's a pleasure. You. Also. Thank yeah? you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right, folks, that is it. So until next time, bye for now.